Before we commence the sixth and final episode of Calling the Shots with Adam Collins and Daniel Norcross, a few words for our great mates at Lord's Taverners, Daniel, who've been with us throughout the journey. Well, they really have. They're a fantastic charity. They've been going now for 70 years. 1950, they were founded. They do just superb work in the community with disabled and marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK. I have a lot to do with them. What I would say is that in this summer of all summers, when there's such a need, so many people who are suffering as a result of COVID, it's charities like the Lord's Taverners that really come in and make an enormous difference. They have a programme going at the moment, the Isolate program which is about people who are struggling hugely with issues of isolation and that is right at the fore of course during coronavirus times. 12,000 young people per year as you say Daniel uh, are involved in the award-winning programs that the Lord's Taverners are involved in each year such as table cricket, wicket, super ones I mean it's a raft of programs but but this year especially there is that broader challenge of course we've been in lockdown the coronavirus isolation period does make it difficult for charitable organisations like the Lord's Taverners and if we can come together and support an organisation like this, you know that you're in turn doing a lot for some of the most underprivileged and at-risk people in our community. Well, that is exactly what Lord's Taverners is all about. And you've got to understand that uh, ordinarily during a normal cricket season, Lord's Taverners would be out mm. raising loads of money. They'd have lots of events. I've commentated at plenty of those events and they use those monies, money to buy things like vans in order to be able to take uh, severely disabled children two events to, to play in things like table cricket and super ones and what have you and of course they just can't do those events it's incredibly difficult in lockdown yet the requirement there to raise those funds is still there they still have those programs running some of those running and um, and they've got to fund them somehow so if you can chip in i know it is difficult but if you are in a position to chip in in this very very difficult time it would be fantastic if you could help them out. They're a cricket charity. They're one of the oldest cricket charities. They're part of the cricket community and the cricket family. I think they're a fantastically worthy cause and they really could do with all the help you can give them. org is their website. We'll put that in the show notes. But in addition to supporting uh, those who are marginalised, those with disabilities, they are also tackling issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and isolation, which you talked about before, Daniel, something we're all feeling quite a lot at the moment. So lordstaverners.org. Get in there, have a look, see what they're doing. And if you can make a contribution, that would be fantastic. And thanks again to the Lord's Taverners for being such fantastic supporters of Calling the Shots. Now, time for the show. As Holly pitches the ball up slowly and he's bold. Bradman, bold, Holly's not. Comes in, volley to Bradman. Spore well pitched, Bradman moves forward, drives. Covenant cover tries to cut it off, but is beaten by the pace of the ball and it races away for another four. No, is it? Is it the Ashes? Yes, England have won the Ashes. That's it, it's all, it's high, it's miles in the air. Here's just coming around, and so it's all, oh, it's a what a catch! What a catch! That's the great, the greatest catch! Oh, unbelievable, Stephen Wall. Out, where's got to, he's, he, yes! He's caught it on the third attempt, he's on a hat-trick. Can you believe that? In, out, in, out. What a bowler. And he's done it. Gatting has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He still doesn't know. Oh, Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. Harmison comes up and bowls and Kasparovic goes back and parries one as he caught down the left side. There's an appeal for catch. He's out. England have won. England have won. Got him! Why did he do that? 
Unbelievable. And now both for Bolton. Six wickets for Amy Shropshire, England's hero. England win the World Cup. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony. Agony for New Zealand. Through the covers. Steve Smith is back. Up in the air again. Western Terrace again. Six again. Comes Pat Cummins from the far end. He bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four. And stands there with the back raised. I can't believe we've seen that. And they're looking for that, let alone chasing it. It's going straight into the confectionery stall and out again. I'm Adam Collins. I'm Daniel Norcross, and this is Calling the Shots, presented by the Pinch Hitter the new fortnightly digital magazine containing some of the best cricket writing in the world. It's a terrific initiative supporting freelance cricket writers at this particularly challenging time. So jump on the nightwatchman.net to read the latest edition of The Pinch Hitter. That link is also in the show notes for this episode. Adam and I, over six episodes, have been tracing the century-long history of cricket commentary on radio and television. It's been quite the ride. In this, our final episode, we bring you up to date as we explore how the commentary box has become a more inclusive domain over the last decade. We investigate how advances in data capture are influencing broadcasters like never before. And we reflect on what we've learnt from tracking cricket's progress on the airwaves over the last three months. To help us tell that story, we once again have four guests with us. If you told a 13-year-old Andy Zaltzman, he'd end up doing stats on TMS, then he would probably have exploded into a splatter pattern directly recreating Ian Botham's scoring chart from his Headingley 149 not out. Andy Zaltzman, comedian and test match special statistician. It was a kind of culmination of a three and a half decade long obsession. It really is just about watching as many people as possible just to find your own voice and find your own style. The unmistakable voice of Isha Guha the newly appointed presenter of BBC Cricket on TV. I might probably, in commentary, be someone who's going to observe more than I give an opinion, um, and I will always look at both sides of the story. I'd got a chance to stand up the back of the Channel 9 commentary box. That's Australian World Cup winner and broadcaster Lisa Stalaker. It was an absolute privilege to be standing there to see those guys do what they do and, um, and shape what people's opinions are about the game. I'm often setting up the commentary box at the MCG ahead of the Boxing Day Test match. There are lots and lots of tours that take place and they look at the commentary boxes. But I really enjoyed seeing the faces light up when they have a chance to see the Test Match Special Commentary Box, and they just absolutely love it. And to to have the chance to work in that environment that people so love makes me realise just how fortunate I am to do this job. And Adam Mountford current producer of Test Match Special, with whom we begin our story. He took over the reins of the BBC's flagship cricket radio programme in 2007, but had worked alongside his decorated predecessor since 2002. When T20 began, they wanted someone to join Peter Baxter, so I had a chance to sort of bed in, I guess. You know, I came into it with my eyes open. Baxter had presided over a settled team and the programme had just celebrated its 50th birthday. Indeed, there hadn't been a new producer for over 40 years. Dutifully prepared as he was, it was still a daunting challenge. You are there with these legends of the game and legends of broadcasting. Just talking about 
great cricket broadcasters. You're talking about great broadcasters. And there I am, you know, doing a rotor and putting their name down and, you know, giving them advice to what to say on the radio. Although the programme was very much at the height of its powers, with established names such as Jonathan Agnew, Christopher Martin Jenkins and Henry Blofeld leading the coverage, Mountford could still see scope for improvement but he would have to tread carefully. It was a tinker that was needed, not not mass change. One thing you realise very quickly on Test Match Special is people really care. They care deeply about the characters on the radio. They're family to them. If you change members of that family, it really, really affects people. It was an encounter early on with a TV commentary team that had a profound effect on the thinking of the man now in charge down the corridor for TMS. It was like being hit by a wall of testosterone. It was a really uncomfortable place to be. And I thought, I'm finding this really uncomfortable. The thought of a a female broadcaster or a really inexperienced broadcaster walking into that box for the first time, how intimidating would that feel? I thought, I don't want the TMS box to ever feel like that. Already, Mountford was thinking about broadening the makeup of his commentary roster. But as he himself acknowledges, Test Match Special had been home to a wide variety of characters, diverse in ethnicity from the get-go and eventually gender as well. His belief at the time was that the programme needed evolution rather than revolution. The very first TMS broadcast back in 1957, we had Kenna Black, who was part of that commentary team, Trinidadian um, former player broadcaster, part of that team. And throughout, we've welcomed uh, voices from around the world. Peter Baxter brought in Donna Simmons back in 1998, and that was a major development. King on seven, waits on court. And there's a big IBW appeal for him, and he's out! IBW! have bowled the West Indies out for 54 in their second innings. This is day two of the second test match, the 100th to be staged at Lords. We have one innings to go. And it's only the second day and it's not finished. And Simmons was far from being the only woman involved with the program, although Mountford could see there was scope for more. We've seen Claire Connor involved in TMS before my time and an Aldroyd came in. So these aren't absolutely new things. Improving diversity of Test Match Special is just the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do when I took over. It's the right thing to do now. And he had already identified the ideal candidate back from his days producing the T20 coverage. Back in 2002, I was at the SCG on my second ever test match. There was a knock on the commentary box door and there was Alison Mitchell. And she said, I'm I'm interested in getting involved in cricket and I happen to have a CV with me. It was very clear straight away that she had a real passion and enthusiasm for the game and that she both had the knowledge of the game, but also really knew what she wanted to do. And at that point, I thought, you are perfect. Here is Mitchell commentating a T20 Blast quarterfinal in 2004. Malalian again to Chilton. He plays it into the leg side. It's being chased down to the boundary. The batsman crossed through for two runs. And that is the end of the match. A victory here for Lancashire by nine wickets, which takes Lancashire through to finals day on the 7th of August at Edgbaston. There was no doubt that there was resistance both from listeners and from people within our own team at first. And what Alison did was prove that by being really, really good at your job, you very quickly silence those critics. Mitchell had come through a relatively conventional route, having started work with the BBC Asian Network in September 2002, after graduating from her journalism course. She brought her through really gradually. It meant that when she made her Test Match debut, it was just, oh, here's Ali, she's going to do a bit of, a bit of commentary. It didn't feel like a huge fanfare for her arrival. Ali had worked on the Women's World Cup of 2009 in Australia, a trophy England secured after a 16-year drought. In that victorious team were a couple of players that caught Mountford's attention when the women's ashes were contested in England the following summer. 
Ebony Rainsford-Brent, hello. Hello, how are you? Now then, what, what's happening in the game? Where's it going? Well, um, we're quite happy with where it is. You know, you know, if we can look to bat all the way through the next session, I think it'll be fantastic and it can start to take the game away from them. So the goals are staging a fantastic comeback, so, you know, it should be good. It's free to get in as well, so, you know, if you're around about Worcester, you might as well get involved and come down for a nice afternoon. Isha Guha has shared in the 2009 triumph alongside Rainford Brent, but women cricketers in England were still essentially amateurs, playing for the love and glory of the game. But after that World Cup success and winning the T20 title at Lords later that year, she was getting itchy feet. The sole goal was to win the World Cup, to eventually lift the trophy, and then it was like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> Two years after that watershed year, Rainford Brent and Guha formally retired from international cricket within weeks of each other. Ebony was 28, Isha just 26. But Mountford had plans for both of them. In 2012, on the roof at Taunton, they were reunited for their international debuts in the TMS box, calling their old team. I need to find a range of commentators who could do women's cricket really well, to do women's cricket with absolute justice and to treat it absolutely as seriously as you would do men's international cricket. I'm pleased and delighted to say that Isha Guar will be with us this morning, um, as will Ebony Rainford-Brent as well. Isha is alongside me. Um, good morning. You don't realise the significance of something like that at the time. But for Adam, you know, as he's trying to encourage more voices or, or voices from different backgrounds. And when she gave up the game, I kept an eye on what she was doing. She took to it straight away brilliantly. She's a really good communicator on the game. She works really well with, with commentators and summarisers. It was a little bit loose from Georgia there. Um, she's bold brilliantly up until this point um bowling great areas uh, and causing problems for the batsman my voice sounds so drastically different to what it sounds like now i just sound so timid i sound like a young girl i had no idea about the different aspects of broadcast until I was actually in it. They just threw me in there. And you're basically just learning on the job. While Guha may have felt raw to begin with, her cricketing smarts were there for all to see as she predicted great things from a young Harman Preet core during her first stint on air. Matali Raj leading from the front as captain. We all know what a talent she is. Such a pleasure to watch um, when she does bat. Has so much timing and she really led her team home uh, on Sunday. Um, as well as the youngsters Poonam Rout and Harman Preet Kaur as well who contributed and two of the ones to look out for in the future. And there was no one better for Isha to share that moment with than Ebony Rainford Brent. Friends for the last 16 years, they'd attended university together and won the World Cup together. Here is Ebony on that same ODI at Taunton. I think if, obviously, England can keep this pressure on, they will get that breakthrough. Raj is a little bit different. She'll be quite patient, I think, and, you know, be happy to sit in and wait. Whereas I think Core, who's a little bit more inexperienced, obviously can play in aggressive innings. This would be unusual for her to have to wait so long. So it seems like, obviously, England have got the upper hand at the moment. I guess I didn't really recognise the significance of the moment at the time, but I knew that I loved being there with Ebbs because we were essentially doing it together and, you know, I've known her since the age of 11. So to be able to sit there alongside her and, and work with her, I think, was really special. Mountford had uncovered two gems that would go on to become mainstays of TMS, not only for women's cricket, but for the men's game too. But just as with Alison Mitchell, he knew he needed to proceed gradually to allow his recruits to find their own voice in an environment that had almost exclusively to that point been inhabited by men. While this carefully calibrated evolution was taking place in England, a revolution was soon underway in the least expected of environments. 
the hyper-masculine world of the Indian Premier League. I was working at Cricket New South Wales as a high-performance coach. Stalika enjoyed a prolific international career, winning two World Cups and two World T20s. But she, like Isha and Ebony, had run her race, her last international match being the victorious World Cup final of 2013. Female players back then either went back to their job that um, they were doing whilst they were playing cricket, completed their studies, or they became a coach. That year, I, I was pretty restless. I needed a new challenge. ABC Grandstand gave me an opportunity because they were doing the T20 Big Bash. It was an opportunity that hadn't come completely out of the blue. So the Laker had got her first taste on the mic back in 2010, and she'd loved every minute of it. And I was like, wow, this is a pretty good seat in the house, um, right behind the bowler's arm, all the, um, all the display units, all the information. I just was like... This is superb. I want to be part of this. How do I get this gig? But opportunities to repeat the experience were few and far between. At that stage, between occasional stints on radio, the best she could do was watch and learn. Every time international cricket was played at the SCG, I'd go and say hello to the guys and I'd sit there and just look at how it, how it all works, what the producer says, how they interact with each other. And in much the same way that Guhar and Rainford Brent set off on their broadcasting journeys together, Svalika had her own stablemate and former World Cup winning teammate who had started in similar fashion. Mel Jones actually had been commentating, I think, since 2003. Every time there was a women's match, she was thrown in. When I got the opportunity with Mel, it was a chance for us to work together as a team. But the Australian duo were about to get the biggest and most unexpected of breaks. In 2015, she took a call from Simon Wheeler, executive producer of the IPL's TV broadcast. It proved life-changing. Simon goes, look, I've been listening to you on ABC Grandstand. Uh, Do you want to commentate in the IPL? And I'm like, huh, yeah, but that's my 10-year goal. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to put your name down. Two weeks later, he rings me up. He goes, yep, you're in. There's four of you females, Anjum Chopra, Melanie Jones, Isha Gua and myself. It was a bold move and it was something that all of us thought would never happen, that IPL would be one of the last places that would want to have female commentators. But then you understood their reasoning behind it. They wanted to be inclusive because of of the people that were watching, mums, dads, young kids, and they wanted to represent that um, on screen with the voices that, that they were hearing as well. And this wasn't some token effort. Every single night, the IPL included a woman in their commentary team. Hello and welcome to Chinnaswamy Stadium for a Royal Battle. Joining me for the coin toss is Steve Smith from the Royals and from the Royal Challengers Bangalore, Virat Kohli. Welcome to the MCA International Stadium here in Pune as the rising Pune Super Giants play host for the first time to the Royal Challengers Bangalore. It's Delhi Capitals taking on the Kings Eleven Punjab. I have the two captains, Shreya Sai and Ravi Chandran Ashwin. From one legend to another, I've got the brilliant Sachin Tendulkar alongside me. Were you nervous tonight? Naturally, having received this golden opportunity, the pressure was on. We did, all four of us, did a lot of research because we felt that this was our one opportunity for females because if we stuffed it up it wouldn't be Lisa Stalaker has no idea or Ishigua has no idea it would just be labeled as females have no idea we have to perform well not only for ourselves but also for each other and for the next generation and they weren't just overseeing the toss or running the boundary either every night on the biggest t20 competition in the world Guhar, Jones, Stalaker and Chopra were calling the shots Straight down the ground, there's protection, but not there. That has gone all the way. 
not the best way to bring up your 50, but it's another one for David Warner. Boy, does he love this ground. That is beautifully played. The footwork, exquisite. The timing to match. Straight away, A.B. de Villiers goes with reverse and finds the boundary. Women on the mic were now firmly established. And hand in hand with this welcome development, women's cricket was making great strides too. The Women's Big Bash League was launched in 2015 and Lisa and Mel, fresh from their IPL adventure, were obvious recruits. In a matter of weeks, Channel 10 realised they had a hit on their hands. By shooting the Women's Big Bash just like the Men's Big Bash and Channel 10 um, didn't give lip service to the women's game, uh, enabled viewers to go, oh, okay, women's cricket. It doesn't seem that much different to, than the men's game. This approach reaped dividends. An average of 230,000 people watched matches when games moved to 10's main station and an astonishing 700,000 tuned into the final. For the opening semi-final, an all-woman commentary team was assembled for the very first time. It wouldn't be the last. Rachel Haynes decides to go big on the very first delivery and it's going to be her undoing. There it is, the first wicket for the Scorchers. Susie Bates comes on and does the job straight away. Watchful. But as Charlotte Edwards finds, and she's very strong in the cut shot, and she finds that gap. Jones and Stalaker were getting noticed, and just like Mountford over in England, Channel 10's producer Dave Barham recognised an opportunity for incorporating women into his team for the men's Big Bash. And just like Mountford, he knew he needed to take a gradual approach. Dave Barham was always of the belief females needed to be part of sports broadcast, but it's about slowly integrating them. Mel Jones and I were doing boundary writing for the men's game first before we went into the commentary box. I don't come into the Australian team and demand to open the batting and open the bowling. I bide my time. I learn from the best. And what that's allowed is that females have transitioned fairly easily without probably too much conjecture about their opinions and thoughts. Despite the avowedly unhurried method from forward-thinking producers, the landscape was changing rapidly. That same Australian summer, Ali Mitchell was calling on the ABC radio team, even though England weren't playing. And the following year, Guhar was recruited onto commercial station Triple M as a lead caller for Australia's home tests against Pakistan. I was a little bit apprehensive and the fact that I hadn't really done lead commentary properly. There is a real art to it. Guha, still only a few years into her broadcasting career, was gaining experience. For the first time, she moved on to ball-by-ball commentary. It was a big turning point. She was now a true triple threat, presenter, caller and summariser. And the timing was perfect as the most hyped Women's World Cup yet arrived six months later in England. A battalion of women were by now experienced commentators having cut their teeth on the IPL, CPL, WBBL and more. And it wasn't just ex-players making a splash. Of course, the accomplished Ali Mitchell was there in a lead role on both television and radio. And from 8,000 miles south, Another key player was also in the UK for the tournament. One of the real pioneers is Natalie Germanis, who's been a key part of broadcasting cricket in South Africa, one of the best in the business. After making her commentary debut in 2005, Germanos called the record-breaking 434 versus 438 men's one day between Australia and South Africa the following year. By the time 2017 rolled around, she had more than 80 test caps on the mic to her name and hundreds of white ball internationals on SABC alongside fellow groundbreaker Cass Naidu. But ultimately, her pro tiers would fall two runs short of making it to the World Cup final, going out to the eventual winners England in a thrilling semi-final. Now it's on 30 at the moment. She gets a full toss and she plays it straight towards Laura Volthart, who's standing at square leg. Oh, that's a gift of a wicket. She got a couple of wickets against Australia with a full toss. 
And that's the end of night, 142 for four. When the final arrived three days later, every ticket was sold at Lords. The game was a classic, a momentous occasion, both on the field and inside the commentary boxes. 2017 kind of marked the change of, of where females were involved in broadcasting. I started to do a little bit more with so many other female presenters and commentators around the world and all of a sudden our our small group really grew a lot. We are all set for the final of the 2017 ICC Women's World Cup, England versus India. The 2017 Women's World Cup was not only a benchmark moment for the women's game on the field, but also for how it was broadcast. We had full coverage across TV and radio, and we saw the coming together of some supremely talented, by then experienced and hugely respected female commentators. Of course, Ali Mitchell was on hand to call the winning moments on radio. One we've heard before on Calling the Shots. And beside her was an emotional Ebony Rainford-Brent, revelling in the success of her former teammates. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Can you imagine? This team, 12 months ago, complete upheaval, changed this team. They believed they had a team that could make this World Cup final and win, and they have done it. I'm sat here with a tear in my eye because... I'm very proud. As an English player, proud to watch those girls go out there and deliver. And wow, what a performance. And it was Mitchell that everyone saw as the trophy was handed over. Heather Knight is the victorious England captain. And England, ladies and gentlemen, are World Cup winners. 180 million people had watched that match. It was the biggest cricket TV event of 2017. Women's cricket and women in cricket had never been more prominent. And yet, later that year, there was a stark reminder that there was still some way to go. A promotional photo of the Channel 9 commentary team ahead of the 2017-18 Ashes, their final year with the rights, caused quite the stir. There wasn't a woman in sight. I believe that photo was probably the defining moment within um, sports broadcast, within cricket here in this country. That photo went viral and there were a lot of females and males going where's the diversity and someone said no there is diversity one guy's got a hat the contrast to channel 10's coverage was increasingly vast with women commentators all over the big bash but this would turn out to be 10's last year with the broadcast rights as well and this was the catalyst for the landscape to shift yet again australia as a society has embraced women's sport and women in sport really well. And there was a survey about which teams, Australian teams, um, do you emotionally connect the best with? And the four top teams were four female teams. Little wonder then that when the men's test rights changed hands for the first time in 40 years the next summer, some of the first major signings from both of the new international broadcasters, Fox and Seven, were women. And not just Jones and Stalaker either. Guha and Mitchell, the English voices that had been working on Australian radio for the previous few summers, would be selected both to commentate, but perhaps more significantly, to front the programs too. It's day two of the New Year's test here at the SCG, and this Australian team have a chance of making their own piece of personal history with a complete clean sweep this home summer. Yeah. Oh, bold him! How about that? Now that is the shock of the day. Yasser Shah gets Steve Smith. He's out for just four. And the Gabba is stunned. Meanwhile, in England, 
The picture was rosier yet for the women who were integral to the success of the 2017 World Cup broadcast. Following her transition to ball-by-ball radio in Australia, Guha had now made that shift at home on both the BBC and Sky. As for Rainford Brent, her star was also on the rise and she was hitting just the right notes on TMS, playing her shots the same way that many men had done so in the summariser chair over the previous six decades. It was an interesting last delivery there from Rashid. It was the googly that went under pant. <laughs> sorry, I, was, I had to get it in there. I'm sorry, Simon. End of the session, let's talk about the cricket. Off with you, Emily. <laughs> off with you. She brings sunshine into the commentary box when she comes in with her personality. You can't put a price on that, but off the air, you also want people who can really help to create an environment and and to change the dynamic. Ebony Rainford-Brent does that every time she sparkles into the box. Come 2019, the carnival of cricket was in England again. The biggest summer of all time. A Men's World Cup and Twin Ashes series. The international cast of women were back too, including Nat Germanos in the TMS box for the opening day of the Men's World Cup and one of the tournament's most memorable moments. Pitlaquire is on strike and he's facing Adil Rashid. He sweeps in the air and straight towards Stokes who takes an incredible one-handed catch. Unbelievable. Jumping in the air and somehow plucking it out of nowhere. This is absolutely incredible. He's a couple of paces off the boundary rope. He jumps in the air and somehow grabs it with his right hand. And he was past uh, the perpendicular as well. And Guha Star was also on the ascendant as she landed a spot in the TMS box calling that ludicrous World Cup final. Nichols and bold! Liam Plunkett has bowled Henry Nichols. What a performance this has been from Plunkett. First he removes Williamson and now the man set who has got to 50. He will have to trudge back to the pavilion. New Zealand, 118 for three. Guha had crammed a lot into four short years since she'd headed out to the IPL. I saw it as a necessity to to work in as many different environments as possible so I could learn and just sponge in that information. You know, working in India, Australia and, and England, in the Caribbean as well, you know, all different styles, different broadcasters. And uniquely... She was now calling for both TMS and Sky on the same Ashes tests. What a beauty. And in that blissful summer when the cricket never stopped, here's Mel Jones calling the Women's Ashes T20 clash that secured the urn for Australia. She is absolute class personified. That is one magnificent hundred for the Australian captain Meg Lanning in just 51 deliveries. Where Donna Simmons and Ali Mitchell had led, a whole phalanx of women had followed, and in double quick time. Women had collectively found their voice. I think probably for the first few years, I was almost mimicking whoever I was in the commentary box with. I think it's the same thing as a cricketer. You kind of model yourself and you want to play like a certain player and then you figure out, hang on, this is my role, this is my style. It won't be long until we see each country have females part of their regular commentary team. It's time for a quick break on calling the shots. When we return, we'll look at the role of the scorer and how technology has driven a new approach to cricket geekery. 
Dan, as we take a break on calling the shots, a word for our pals in West Yorkshire who run their operation there at Bear Cricket, an independent cricket equipment company with the sole aim of delivering the highest quality products but at affordable prices. Much like the Lord's Taverners and the Wisdom Cricketers Almanac, they've been great supporters of what we've been doing, uh, getting us on the park each week on calling the shots through the last three months. Yeah, they have been fantastic supporters of the program. We love them dearly and they must be getting really excited now because news is filtering through recreational cricket looks like it might be about to make its comeback the natural vector of disease i think is going to get the go ahead (laughs) within a couple of weeks from now Uh, we should be out there again we're already able to get into nets and to play that in a very limited way but it looks very strongly like towards the back end of july we're going to get recreational cricket going now always when you start a new season as a recreational cricketer or amateur cricketer it's that thrill that belief that this new pair of gloves this new bat this new box is going to transform you into a world beater i know i've always felt that and there have been occasions when it it sort of has worked i mean not a world beater but you know some bats have worked better than others and bear cricket bats i mean can you imagine anything more wonderful to get you out of the torpor and loneliness and misery of the last few months than to get that bat in your hand to get out there in the first game play it against i don't know the, the an actor's 11 or or parson's green seconds and smash the ball to all parts i mean there is nothing more uplifting to the soul and it's around the corner baby beautifully summed up the fact that you first sighted an actor's 11 says a little bit about the jazz games that you normally play it in does a bit yeah, yeah. Better. <laughs> it, 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 so getting a new bat is part of the romance of a new cricket season and, and where better to go than the sexy sexy bats of bear cricket they're established in 2016 by adam brown who i've been talking to a lot through the process he can't wait for this new season to start. He's an ECB Level 3 performance coach who knows exactly um, what he's doing as far as putting bats together. They look absolutely fantastic. They're made from handcrafted English willow and manufactured here in the UK. And Daniel, as we've mentioned throughout Calling the Shots, one of the best things about Bear Cricket is that they're a family. I mean, the way they conduct themselves on social media, on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, it shows that it's not some labyrinth some enormous company where you can't really sort of identify who's where at bear cricket they want to know how you're going they, they want to be part of your story as well as you being part of theirs that's what's partly so beautiful about it you get the personal touch don't you and so you know that that sort of struggling 54 off 112 balls that you get can be amplified across social media and they'll be genuinely happy for you um it is a beautiful thing you you get you get connection with the people also who work there. You know, the likes of Will Rhodes, uh, Yorkshire's wicketkeeper batsman Johnny Tattersall, fantastic up-and-coming young player. Tim R. Mills, with whom I've worked a bit. You know, they're people that are, that you can identify with. They're people who are recognisable. They're people who will uh, care about what you do with their equipment. It's a, it's a fantastic model. It's a great organisation. And, you know, again, we, we come back to isolation and loneliness to a degree which is one of the biggest blights of the current period that we're living in what you want to do is you want that connection with other people don't you and bear cricket gives you that connection both with other people and with the game that we love i said at the start they're affordable cricket bats and they really are compared to a lot of their competition but on top of that there is 10 percent off for those who've been listening to calling the shots and listening to us talk about bear cricket so if you go to bearcricket.co.uk which is all in the show notes and you pop in calling the shots in the price bar we'll also put that code in the show notes there you go 10 percent off it could be a brand new cricket bat for a brand new cricket season bearcricket.co.uk wonderful members of our cricketing community Welcome back to Calling the Shots. Before the break, we charted the rise of female commentators. We now turn our focus onto the data revolution. 
The role of scorer was integral to radio commentary ever since the BBC's Howard Marshall found himself exposed at Lords in 1934 when Headley Verity bagged 14 wickets. Unable to keep up with Verity's bowling figures, let alone the records that were being broken, he had demanded a scorer for the next test at Old Trafford. Arthur Wrigley had stepped into the breach and remained in the scorer role until his death in 1966. His successor, a man who Brian Johnston had famously dubbed the Bearded Wonder, would go on to become the longest-serving member of the TMS team. When I began in 2007, there was a familiar sound you'd hear, and it was uh, a squeaking wheel along the corridor at Lords, and it was it was Bill Frindle with his books on a sort of trolley that he would bring into the commentary box. But Frindle who would appear on over 350 test matches for TMS, suddenly died in January 2009 from Legionnaire's disease, just 18 months into Mountford's tenure as producer. Peter Baxter had inherited Frindle. In his 40-plus years as TMS producer, he'd never needed to find a replacement. Suddenly, his successor needed to hunt one down, and he was determined it would be the best person for the job, regardless of where they came from. It was a statistician that Mountford was looking for, as distinct from a scorer and he turned to a polymath with a soft voice but a searing intellect. Someone who had worked with the TMS team on previous forays to South Africa, and someone who had serious pedigree, Andrew Sampson. I can also confirm something else. The South African oh. innings, uh, the batsman scores are the least variable, or the least varied in the history of Test cricket. Oh, come off it. I mean the least variable. By that measure of a coefficient of variation. It's the least variable in Test cricket history. Bear in mind, Andrew, I'm given 30 seconds on Radio 5 Live to, to give a sort of a, a resume yeah. of the day. I wouldn't bother with the coefficient variation. I don't think, I'll get, I don't that, think no. I'll get it in. <laughs> is there a shortened form? The shortened form is it's the first time in Test history that all 11 have reached double figures and none of them got to 50. And it didn't take long before Samson became TMS's go-to man, working principally on Test cricket. However, for the shorter forms of the game, Mountford was looking for a slightly different fit. I want a range of people, a range of experience, if they wrote about the game or just enthusiastic amateurs within the game. I don't really care. Can they do a job on the air? Our Mountford's man had arrived from a most unusual background. Andy Zaltzman had been developing his skills as a stand-up comedian, working with John Oliver of The Daily Show on a weekly satirical podcast, The Bugle. Despite, or because it was chiefly designed for an American audience, Zaltzman had reveled in referencing arcane cricket trivia to an audience ignorant of the great game. And Will Luke, who worked at Crick Info at the, at the time, heard a couple of episodes and sent me an email saying, do you want to write for us? So uh, then I started playing around with Stats Guru and realised that you could get some quite interesting stats that weren't necessarily particularly discussed. You know, apply a bit of humour to that and um, they seem to go down pretty well. As luck would have it, he lived not far from Daniel, so he soon found himself on Test Match Schaefer through the night on the 2010 Ashes series and beyond. It was the first sort of cricket broadcasting I'd done. I'd been speaking about cricket in a private personal capacity since early childhood. But to, you know, to speak to an audience and with other uh, broadcasters, it's a uh, you know, highly valuable training, uh, as it turned out. I think that tied in with my years of doing stand-up. Malford had been listening in, and he was impressed. For his purposes, Zaltzman was the all-round package. What can you add to just the basic numbers? What can you bring to the programme? And with Andy Zaltzman, you've got someone who can make you smile as well. He's a professional comedian, for goodness sake. But my word, he's a serious statistician. His chance to make his debut on the show arrived on what turned out to be an historic day for the country. But the game was the morning after the Brexit referendum. So I'd been sitting up all night, sort of 
honing my scoring system to check that it was going to stand up to the rigours of, uh, of a one-day international and watching the news. And we have a, a, a gentleman to my left making his international test match special scoring debut today. Andy Zoltzman. Hello, Wonderful Alex. to have you here. I can tell you that... Um, the, it's potentially good news, the date of this game uh, being the day after the referendum. In right. 1975, when we had the first Europe referendum, we played two days after that against India at Lords in a one-day international uh, the opening game of the World Cup, and they won by 202 oh, runs. Fantastic. So, clearly, <laughs> major votes on our future well, on the it. continent. Was that the game when Sunil Gavaskar blocked it all? Yes, I think he was confused by the whole Europe vote. I think he was. Andy's come out of the blocks there hard, he hasn't has, he? he has First up. Well, he's come up with a belted stuff. That was, uh, I think, quite a good way to start as in my new role as TMS scorer. Zaltzman's initial offering on TMS was reflective of how the job had changed under Mountford, with the scorer now providing a broader, humorous and topical take, far beyond the sighting of records in wisdom. Three years on for the 2019 World Cup, he was everywhere, covering an astonishing 31 one-day internationals in six weeks. This is the joint third worst start India have ever made to an ODI innings in terms of the score at three wickets down. They were twice uh, four for three and it's their worst in a World Cup match. Uh, um, beating the record set in Tunbridge Wells in that famous game in 1983. They were six for three and then 17 for five that day. Unlike radio, where the statistician has a very vocal role, TV statisticians such as Sky's Ben Bamangi are there to assist the broadcasters but remain largely silent. Data and technology serve a different purpose, with ball tracking and analytics from CrickViz helping commentators to illuminate the action on the field. Sport in general has become much more scientifically analysed than it ever was in uh, in the past. The traditional statistician was really just you know highlighting milestones, landmarks, unusual statistical events. This is especially true of T20, a format born as technology around the game flourished in new ways. The short form game is so measurable now that you can illustrate the the story of a game with the addition of statistics and data in a way that wasn't possible before. What the broadcasters have been able to do in T20 cricket is to try and educate the fans. If you can keep educating through stats and analysis because we're all geeks at heart, then uh, you're certainly going to, to kind of keep the fans coming back for more. The entire history of T20 has been measured in a way that Test cricket certainly hasn't been. Every ball of um, professional level T20 has been has been recorded with Hawkeye data, the passage of every single ball and what happens to it has been measured and can be analysed. Just as the analyst pioneered jargon busting on Channel 4 at the turn of the century, so, today, former players have adapted their roles to interpret for the viewers this new wealth of data. In England, Ian Ward's rapid ascension to the chief presenter slot at Sky has been in no small part accelerated through his mastery of this very modern skill. In Australia, Mike Hussey was repurposed in this way by Fox. Meanwhile, Trent Copeland, who had a far more modest test career, has become a virtual overnight star for his work on the touchscreen with Channel 7. Copeland has been so influential that Australian coach Justin Langer showed this video to Travis Head after the South Australia's dismissal at Perth last year. It made headlines when Head went on to make a test ton the next week in Melbourne. This is where I want to show you the field that was set up before he was dismissed. There was lots of catches on the offside to set up the dismissal. And with all of those catches on the offside set up, Tim Southie, they went much wider and play a little bit on the ego of Travis Head. Go, okay, 
no worries. You played really well this morning. We're going to go a little wider with all of these catches, set up the play, lure him into the strokes, and when there's no real foot movement, then you get Travis Head playing that shot, and off he goes. But for all the gleeful geekery of data and technology and its undoubted benefits for coaching, Andy Zaltzman reminds us of why it needs careful handling for broadcasters. There's a danger with the all the sort of flash toys that we have, as whether it's as statisticians or broadcasters, that you lose the core of what makes people obsessive about sport, which is, is that it's a competitive narrative with uh, that has not yet been scripted. The challenge is to continue telling the story of cricket matches and you know, showcasing why it is a sport that has enraptured people for 150 years. As we approach the end of our history of cricket commentary here on Calling the Shots, let's bring the story up to the present day. While the 2020 English season has been blighted so far by coronavirus, there are test series against West Indies and Pakistan on the near horizon. And it promises to be a momentous summer for the BBC, with cricket on television returning to the national broadcaster for the first time since losing the rights in 1999. After that breathtaking 2019 home season, the appetite for cricket could not be stronger. And now, unlike in 1999, the corporation is in a much better position to deliver a modern product across multiple platforms, amplified by the rise of social media. And it speaks volumes for just how much the world has changed in the last 20 years, that the BBC has selected Isha Guha to be the lead presenter on television. This was a huge moment to, to be able to, to lead the coverage and a huge opportunity. The fact that you, you're going out to the masses means a real chance to kind of show what an amazing sport it is and to, to highlight the, the stars that we have in the game. While cricket may not have graced BBC television for some time, the Beeb's national and online radio network has been investing in county coverage since 2014. And that expansion under Mountford's careful tutelage has seen new voices emerge. That inevitably gives a great opportunity for new broadcasters to cut their teeth. When it comes to Charles Dagnall and Scott Reid, they came through local radio. So I'm always looking out for people to develop through that network. And here is Dagnall, who worked for Radio Leicester after calling time on his own professional career calling the defining moment of the 2017 Champions Trophy final. Oh, well, drop Coley at your peril. Here's a minute. Oh. against Coley! Points! Very next delivery and Coley has gone! India 6 for 2. Leading edge. Squared up by Mohamed Amir. Slight movement off the pitch. It's spoon to backward point. And Pakistan have the Champions Trophy in their hand. Umpire Moreira has pulled into the deep. Could be a catch here and Dhoni's gone! India are done. The BBC's huge radio and online network is complemented by the connection between fans and commentators made possible through social media. The commentary never really stops. You know, you get a flavour of the lives of the characters you enjoy, the the TMS family, 24-7, and that's often through social media, you know. And that's actually a wonderful opportunity to feel even closer to those characters, those personalities. It just helps make TMS feel feel bigger and reach more people. If I come up with an interesting stat, rather than just going out on air and disappearing, it might go on the... BBC uh, text feed or on a on a uh, on the TMS Twitter feed or there's <laughs> gives it a sort of element of greater permanence. Having characters that the audience can have a relationship with is obviously going to help. And we had a lot of people saying they felt really isolated at home and missing the cricket, missing a community. What Test Match Special is, is a community. It is that family. The radio switched on, but the the TMS world continues. This has been no better illustrated in the last couple of years by the phenomenon that is the Tailenders podcast. It describes itself as a loosely cricket-based podcast. It's created a community of, of its own full of what it calls the cricket curious 
But I think it's one of the most important things we do on the BBC now. You've got Greg James from Radio 1, musician Felix White, James Anderson, as you've never heard him before. And then the almost bizarre case of Machin Tendolka, who's a, a shoe salesman from Bristol, who knows almost nothing about the game, but is a genuine distant relation of the little master. <laughs> I have what we, we call a Uncle Slash in the family. And so whenever, yeah, when, so whenever there's any cricket on, and I, which I don't have a lot of interest in, I went to his wedding apparently when I was younger. There oh, are, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hang on. The, imagine a world where the sentence, I went to Sachin Tendulkar's wedding apparently <laughs> when I was younger. Having brought our story up to date, where do we see cricket commentary going in the future? For Lisa and Isha, they are convinced that what they have experienced themselves since finishing their playing careers will have lasting benefits. It's great to be able to sit here now and just see so many women involved um, in different aspects of, of cricket broadcast and, and the way it's changed around the world, the way perceptions have changed um, has been phenomenal. As for the diversity within commentary box, it's only going to, to continue on this um, upward trend. The current female players that are playing international cricket, there will be more and more of them that will cross over into the commentary box. It is something I'm proud of that if a young girl or boy sees me and, and they can relate to me, whether it is through the colour of their skin, their background whatever it is, and they believe that they can go on and do something similar, then that's, you know, that's where I am proud of it. And Adam Mountford has every right to be chuffed at the success that his captain's picks have had outside the TMS box. When I get a chance to, to watch and listen to them broadcasting around the world, how proud I am that there they were given their first break on TMS. But diversification isn't an end in itself. With a broader group of narrators, Cricket Story has a better chance of reaching a wider group of the community. And as a sport, we have a great story to tell. There has been a deep lack of faith in how good cricket is as a sport from uh, its administrators. It could be that there's pressure to make it simpler and more spectacular, uh, which is often the way to actually make it more boring. It's, it's really important to get the difference between being accessible and being patronising. If there's some of the strange quirks of cricket, you hook people in by making them interesting and explaining them that way, not by patronisingly explaining them in a simplistic fashion. Over the last 12 weeks, we have explored the history of broadcasting. It began in Australia and England, and although core skills were interchangeable, styles were definitely different. The poetic English of Arlett contrasted with the matter-of-fact McGilvray. As the game flourished in India, so too did a distinctly Indian style. But, as Harsha Bogle, our guest in episode 4, told us, these styles may be starting to coalesce. When an Aussie commentator comes to India, it's no different from an Indian commentator going to Australia. Styles are becoming very homogeneous. In England, there's still a little prevalence of less is more. I, I, last Ashes series, there's Atherton and Gower on commentary a lot in one segment. And I thought, gee, this is different. There was silence for three balls and I said, wow, it's a long time since I've, I've heard that. I wouldn't be surprised if commentary involves and, and it's almost cyclical where we go back to letting the, the pictures breathe. But on radio, at least, some things never change. Radio commentators are the eyes 
of the listener. It doesn't matter how you do the game from the first ball TMS broadcast in 1957 to what we're doing with 100 next year. People want to know what has happened. And there's another universal truth in everyone we've talked to across the last 12 weeks from Ian Smith and Ali Mitchell when we started through to our guest today. A passion for the game shared between listener and commentator. One thing that this uh, pandemic has made me realise is I thoroughly love my job. I feel that I've found something that I am so passionately devoted to. I don't even see it as work. I do see it as a privilege. It's all a bit surreal, to be honest. When I was playing, you know, when I've been in broadcast, all I've wanted to do is just be the best I can be. It's a wonderful thing to be able to, to, be able to do. And, um, you know, every day is, feels like a treat and not a real job in any way. I get to watch my favourite game, cricket, I get to listen to my favourite radio programme, Test Match Special. I get to work with heroes of both broadcasting and cricket. And I get a constant supply of cake. So, look, it ain't a bad job. And with that, this is the end of Calling the Shots. For us, it's been a fascinating journey of discovery. From Tommy Woodruff at that village match, through to the Heath Robinson ingenuity of synthetic commentary and the subsequent post-war birth of the superstar commentator. Advances in technology were a constant theme as those radio signals were able to reach further and further across the globe, and cameras have brought the action closer and closer to the fan. But technology has only been part of the story. Demand from cricket fans for news of Bradman's Australians, Peter May's all-conquering England, the dominant West Indies teams of the 70s and 80s, and Sachin Tendulkar at the turn of the century has fuelled broadcasting's expansion. And when traditional broadcasters weren't able to meet that demand, innovators on the internet have stepped into the breach, consumed with their passion and their belief that wherever cricket is being played, it must be available. Throughout, we've had a wonderful time working with the team at The Pinch Hitter, where each episode of the podcast has been published. Of course, don't forget that you can read the most recent edition of the digital magazine in the show notes of this episode, chock full of contributions from some of the best cricket freelance writers in the world. It's all there on a pay-what-you-can-afford basis at thenightwatchman.net, with all financial contributions going back into commissioning more brilliant cricket writing. Our enduring thanks to Jay Mueller at Bad Producer Productions for making this show with so much care. Calling the Shots is another proud member of the Bad Producer family. For more of their shows, jump on badproducerproductions.com. Thanks to our families. In the case of Catherine, my wife, diligently transcribing about a quarter of a million words. And to my partner, H, who gave me the support to do what I needed to do on this project, often deep into the night while looking after our baby girl. To all our 20 guests, our gratitude once again. And lastly, our appreciation for the kind words we've received from the wider cricket community. We're so glad this seems to have hit the spot. When we began this project, we were trying to understand what makes great commentary. In the end, we found out so much more than that. And we're going to leave you with the contribution that best summed this up. So, to play us out, giving his take on the essence of cricket broadcasting, why we love it and why it matters, Mark Nicholas. And for the last time on Calling the Shots. Bye for now. now. Every session, never mind every day, has a story and you need to be able to tell that story so the gift of storytelling is one thing a very important thing the second thing is understanding that a cricket match as you view it is theater and like any good play there are highs and lows there are ebbs and flows there are moments where you're getting the job done and moments where you're being taken onto another level you're occupying a space a euphoric space where the reason that you're there uh, becomes clear. 
this requires a lot of patience. And the, the commentator must have the, the skill to fill the moments that need the patience. Because there's no such thing in test cricket, there probably is in 2020, but in test cricket, there's no such thing as ongoing excitement. Cricket wasn't meant to be exciting. Cricket was meant to have moments that are so exciting that are so exciting that you don't forget them. So you have to have the ability to commentate with ebb and flow, with high and low, with um, a gentle pace and then a lively pace. You have to have a retrospective of the game, a knowledge of its history so that you can call upon it to match it to the moment that you're with, relating players, incidents, former performances to the ones you're watching then because then you have context. Without context, cricket loses something of its magic because cricket was no less magical 100 years ago than it is now. It was just different. Um, you have to have the words to explain the story. That It's a big canvas out, out there. It stretches 150 to 180 yards from one side to the other and one end to the other. And a lot of people are a part of that canvas. Then it drifts into the audience sitting in the stands and then into the streets alongside you. That's a big canvas. So you have to have the words, the time, the space to get that across to your audience. And then you have to have timing. Timing. You have to understand the difference between a pause, stillness, action, and the fast forward button. They're all a part of your day's work. And if you get all of that right, and you do it in a way that remains attractive, if you can add all those things up and get 70% of it, you're going to probably be darn good at the job.